Our scripture passage this morning comes from John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. We've got it up here on the screen. You can read along, or if you grab one of the Bibles in front of you, you can check it out uh, throughout the sermon as well. Um, John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, before he was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Last week, um, I stumbled across an old video of the game show, uh, What's My Line? It was a video from the 1950s, a black and white video. Do you remember that show at all? Anybody? If you've never seen it before, the way it works is they have a panel of celebrity judges, and then they have a mystery guest, and the mystery guest walks out and writes their name on the board and then sits down, and along with the host, the, the, guests, the, the judges are supposed to guess what this person's line of work is. So they ask yes or no questions, and they try to figure out what it is this person does for a living. Um, but this particular clip that I was watching it was almost unbelievable to me because as the, the clip started, they showed who the celebrity judges were. Yeah, I had no idea who any of them were. I didn't recognize a single one of their faces, right? This video is 70 years old. But when the guest walked out, I instantly knew who he was. He was an older man with white hair and a white beard. He was wearing a white suit, and he had on a black string tie and he goes to the board and he writes his name Colonel Harlan Sanders and he goes and he sits down at the table and they start to ask questions and I'm just sitting there with my mouth wide open as one after one they ask questions about what on earth this guy could do this guy who my whole life I have only seen his face as the the logo, right, of this internationally famous fast food restaurant, Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Here he is. They're answering questions, and they can't figure it out. They end up getting to the end, and they never guess that this guy makes fried chicken. It's kind of hilarious. It's kind of astonishing. And uh, 
in some ways, our passage today has a very similar vibe to it, right? These religious leaders, these people in the temple, they have no idea who Jesus is. It seems obvious to us, right? But it is astonishing that these people are able to talk with him, they're able to debate with him, and somehow they can completely miss who Jesus is. They can completely miss their long-awaited Savior, this long-prophesied Messiah standing right in front of them. And so our task this morning is that we should not repeat their mistake. Our task this morning is to make sure that we don't miss Jesus the same way that they did. Our task this morning is to see him. And not just to see Jesus for who he is in history, but to see him today, to see his presence in your life, to see the way he is working in your life at this very moment. That's what I want us to see this morning. And so as we look through the passage, we're going to see three characteristics that show us who Jesus is and how he is really at work in our lives So we're looking at three characteristics that show us who Jesus is and how he is really at work in our lives. And the first thing we see is the patience of Jesus. And then we're going to see the promise of Jesus. And finally, we're going to look at the the preeminence of Jesus. So first of all, let's talk about Jesus' patience. I can't help it but to find a little, the the beginning of this passage a little bit funny, right? There's something kind of humorous about the whole situation. Now, if you've been with us the last month or so, you know we are at the tail end of this two-chapter-long conversation with Jesus that happens around a big festival in Jerusalem. Uh, This is a big Jewish festival. He's been talking with the leaders of the temple, and these guys have heard Jesus say a lot of things, a lot of amazing things. Do you remember any of them? He said things like, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He said, I'm the light of the world. He said, if you obey, if you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So they've heard all these things, and then they come to this conclusion, verse 48. Are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Isn't that kind of funny, right? I just imagine, like, hmm, that's interesting. Oh, you're the light of the world. Okay, hmm. So, am I right? Are you (laughs) demon-possessed? Are you a Samaritan? That's it, right? Don't make a mistake about this is, they're not being uh, genuine here. This is just an insult. This is a put-down. They they are, the first half of it, saying he's a Samaritan. It's, It's basically a racial slur. The Samaritans were a despised group of people. They were known for having this kind of intermixed, uh, unholy religion. And so he's saying that you're a part of this lesser people. You're a part of this despised religion. You're a confused outsider. And then they say, and you have a demon. We're in chapter 8 of John. The whole message of this book so far has been to tell us that Jesus is the exact opposite of a demon-possessed man. What has John said? He said that he is 
the incarnate Word of God, right? That he is God made flesh, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he is in fact the most holy being who has ever lived. So to say that he is evil, to say that he's cursed, to say that he's something that's defiled, I mean, it's, it's terrible, right? It's, it's trash talk, it's a put down, it's a lie. But that kind of shows you what they were after, right? These guys, they wanted to humiliate Jesus. They wanted to ruin his reputation. They wanted to take him down, and eventually they wanted to kill him. That's really what they wanted to do. So, you see that, but I hope you're not surprised by that. That shouldn't really come as a surprise to any of us, right? Especially not anyone who's been following Jesus for any amount of time, because that is a common experience, for people who want to follow Jesus. Rejection. False accusation. Right? This world, in its very nature, tends to reject the things of God. How many of you have been insulted in the name of Christ? How many of you have been falsely accused as you tried to follow him? Well, Jesus says that's what's going to happen. In John 15, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is the reality for the people who follow Christ. Now, I want to be clear. This is not talking about Christians who uh, people don't like them because they are arrogant, right? People don't like them because they're self-righteous. It's not talking about people who are trying to make themselves out to be martyrs in the culture wars, right? People on cable news saying, I'm, I'm persecuted because Starbucks doesn't use Christmas cups anymore, right? That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about that the, the world rejects true holiness. The world rejects people who refuse to go with the status quo. The world rejects the worker who refuses to participate in those corrupt business practices that everybody else just goes along with. The world rejects the people who speak out against injustice or racism when they speak out because they see that people are being mistreated. In our world, a lot of times, the person who stands up for righteousness ends up getting crushed. They're gossiped about. They lose their status. They lose maybe their jobs, or even sometimes they lose their lives. That kind of persecution, it's really disorienting, isn't it? That kind of experience, it's hard to make sense of. You you just find yourself feeling so confused. You know, you say, God, I am, I am trying to honor you. I'm trying to follow you. I'm, I'm trying to do what you have asked me to do. Why is this stuff happening to me? Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you're in the midst of experiencing that right now. When that happens, what's, what's the instinct? I think in our sin, when we feel that way, our instinct is either to, to run and hide 
to flee the situation or, on the other hand, to ball up our fist, right, and try to fight back, to get back at the people who are doing those things to us. But look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus does in this passage. Look at his patience. Look at his steadfastness. Look at, look at how he reacts when he is attacked, when he is insulted. He doesn't fight fire with fire. He doesn't do any of those things he could have done, right? He doesn't just pull out that list of all their secret hidden sins that he knows about. And he doesn't run away either. Instead, he, is, he simply speaks the truth. And he speaks it in love. In verse 49, it says, first of all, he says, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Verse 55, he says, you do not know him. I know him. If I said I didn't, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. It's amazing the amount of patience he's showing with these enemies. He doesn't give up on them, but he continues to, to speak the truth in love. And, and I want to encourage you this morning, if you're in that same kind of place, that's what we are called to do as well. Whatever the hardship is, whatever the persecution is that you might be facing. And so my question is simple. Do you see Jesus present in your hardship this morning? Are you able to see how he's present with you where you are. The author of Hebrews tries to encourage people in their suffering, and he says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus has been where you are. And more importantly, he is there with you now where you are. Don't lose heart. That's the first thing we see, the patience of Jesus. He is patient with his enemies, and he's present with his people. The second thing we see is the promise of Jesus. Verse 51, he starts out, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. As I was writing this sermon last week, I got a notification that one of the guys who I ride bikes with, uh, his brother died uh, of cancer, and he was 51 years old. 51. That's too soon. It was heartbreaking to see the pictures and just to realize how much life it seemed like he had left. But really, there's, there's no time when death feels all right. There's no age when death doesn't sting. Sometimes people will be suffering so much that it, does, it feels like a relief from their suffering when they finally pass. But even then, it still doesn't feel right that they're gone, does it? Isn't that weird? Even though every single person who has ever lived throughout all of history has died, even though we know that every single one of us is going to die, death it still feels out of place. It feels wrong. It feels like something that, that shouldn't happen. Why is that? Well, Scripture says because it is wrong. It 
it's not supposed to happen. It says the reason why we cannot accept death, the reason why we can't just get used to this fact of life is because we were made for eternity. That you and I, we have eternal souls. That we were created by an eternal God and that our purpose is to glorify and to enjoy him forever. But humanity, in our sin, we rejected God. And it brought death into the world. And now we all die. But even though we die, we still have this longing for the eternal. It's still on our hearts. We know that we were made for something more. And so here Jesus comes in and he says, Whoever keeps my word will never see death. That is the greatest promise the world has ever heard. That is the greatest promise this world has ever known. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. You know what he's saying there, right? He's saying that our instinct is right. He's saying that what we know deep down in all of our hearts is true. The world isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death is not a normal part of existence. It's broken. And he has come to fix what's broken about this place. He's come to give us that eternal life, that everlasting life, that forever life that we're all longing for. He's telling us that even though our body's going to die, that is not going to be the end of our story. He says, how does he say it? He says, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. So he says, this happens for whoever obeys his word. What does that mean? Is that just about you got to keep the rules? No. It means to really keep his word, to really obey his word, it means you have to receive his word. You have to found your life upon his word. And remember, Jesus' words, they're not just rules, right? We've been reading this whole book. He said a lot of things. Some of, of Jesus' words are declarations. Some of them, like this, are promises. To obey his word, it means it's about knowing him. Right? It's about desiring to live a life that, that is based on glorifying God. It's about drinking from his word. Every day, taking some time out to, to read his word and to, to be ministered to our, to be ministered to our hearts by his word. Obeying his word is about living in a relationship with God, to constantly knowing him, walking alongside of him every day. So my son, who's not here this, this weekend, he's 11 years old. Most of you probably know him by now. But um, he has finally reached this glorious point in life where he is able to mow the grass. <laughs> and I am thrilled, especially now that it's 95 degrees outside. But I've learned also, if I just tell my 11-year-old son, go mow the grass, the end result isn't going to be great, right? There's going to be some patches that are missed. The edges around the fence are going to be, you know, a foot high. Probably the downspouts on the side are going to be knocked off. There's going to be, it's not going to be great. I've realized that, that if my son is going to be able to obey my instructions to go and mow the grass, well, really what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it with him. 
I've got to show him how to do it. And then while he's mowing the grass, I've got to be there to help. You know, I've got to jump in and do the things that he can't do yet. I can do some of the edging. I can be present with him. I can give him the guidance so that eventually he'll be able to do it on his own. And as I think about it, I think that is kind of a picture of the type of obedience that Jesus is talking about. It is obedience, but it's not obedience off on your own. It is obedience in relationship to God. It's the obedience where you never doubt that your heavenly father is with you, that he's walking alongside you, that he is supporting you, that he's teaching you, that he's enabling you, and that he's going to help you out when you mess up. It's a life that is centered not upon the rules you got to keep, but the loving relationship that you have with God. And Jesus says, if you have that, if you have that right now, you will have it forever. You will have it for all of eternity. Those who keep his word will never see death. Do you believe that? Do you believe that right now? Do you believe that if you know Jesus right now in your life, he is undoing the power of death? That he is taking away the sting of death? That he has given you a sure hope and no one can take that away from you? Right now, he has prepared a place for you. That he, someday, you're going to see him face to face. Yes, we're going to die, right? Yes, we'll, we'll lose people that we love. But we do not grieve like the world grieves. Because our God is with us. He's showing us the way. And one day, we're going to be in his presence forever. And I don't know how else to say it other than to say, it's just an incredible promise. You will never see death. Deep down, I think even the most hardened skeptic has to at least want that to be true, right? That's, what, that's where that longing comes from, because that is what you were created for. That's the promise of Jesus. And thirdly, we see in this passage the preeminence of Jesus. So Jesus keeps talking, and as he does, these Jewish leaders, they just get angrier and angrier. <laughs> they don't like the things that they're hearing. And so eventually they just point blank, they ask him, who do you think you are? And he responds, I glorify, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So he says, he says, I'm the son of God. And Abraham, your great ancestor that you all look back to, well, he rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And of course, they, they, they're like, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old yet. And, and you say that you've seen Abraham. You're still a kid. Abraham died hundreds of years ago. How could you have possibly been in the presence of Abraham? And then Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Up to this point, 
over the last couple of chapters, Jesus has made a lot of claims. He has compared himself to the water that God gave the Israelites in the desert, this living water that comes directly from God. He said that he's the light of the world. He compared himself to the the glory cloud that passed before the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. He has made some big claims about who he is. But, you know, they've, they've been with images. They've been with illustrations. They've been with comparisons. Maybe some of these guys could have excused them. Maybe they could have said, well, maybe he didn't mean what I think he meant. But at this point, there is no denying what Jesus is trying to say. If you read any scholarship on this, they will tell you that this is by far, in all of Scripture, the most definitive, in-your-face claim to be God that Jesus ever spoke. Right? This isn't even the normal way to answer the question. He could have said, when they asked him, how did you see Abraham? He could have said, I saw Abraham because I was around before Abraham. But instead, he used this very specific language. He directly is quoting, right, the language from the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3, that moment when Moses was at the burning bush. And he asks God, who am I supposed to say sent me when you go and tell me to deliver all these Israelites? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In other words, God didn't say, well, tell them I'm the God of the rain. Tell them I'm the God of the earth. Tell them I'm the God of the sun. He says, there is nothing in this world that can define me. There is no descriptor that you can add to my name that will make sense of me because I am before all things. He says, I am that I am. And Jesus, in our passage, he says the same thing. He makes the same claim. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. You know, in the book of Hebrews... There's a passage that talks about all these great heroes of the faith. Abraham, David, Noah, Rahab, all these great people. And and in that passage, he says, the author says, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So when Jesus, he says, Abraham uh, rejoiced at seeing my day, this is what Jesus is talking about. That, that these heroes of the faith, they rejoiced in the hope of their salvation, right? All those people in the Old Testament, people sometimes ask pastors, you know, how did people in the Old Testament, did they go to heaven, what happened? Well, yes, they did, because they are saved the same way anybody else has ever been saved. They are saved in the hope of the promise of God's coming redemption. They were saved because they believed God when he said one day all the nations are going to be blessed through the line of Abraham. They were saved because they believed in the hope of the Christ. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that promise. And I am the one who made that promise in the first place. I am. 
I am the great I am. That's who Jesus is. If you're playing what's my line and he walks out on the stage, (laughs) that's the answer. He is the I am. And that means Jesus is unlike any other religious figure in history. Think about it. Muhammad, the Buddha, Joseph Smith, any of the philosophers, what did they do? Well, they all came and they said, let me show you the way to truth. Let me tell you the things to believe, the things to do. Let me show you the way to life, to eternity, to God, to whatever. Let me show you this path to salvation. But Jesus is the only one who says, I am the way. And that means that only in the Christian faith do we have a God who comes to us. That's the message of the gospel. It is that the I am took on flesh. That he entered into this miserable life. And that he suffered with us. The eternal God, he even died. And he did that so you could be freed from death. So that you could be freed from the sin and the misery of this life. He did this to rescue you because you and I were made to be with him forever. So what are you going to do about that? How are you going to respond to that claim? We see what the leaders do here. How does the passage end? Verse 59, it says, At this... They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They tried to murder him because he is a blasphemer, because he is a liar, because he is a threat to them. And you might read that and you think, wow, that's terrible. I can't believe they would do something like that. But you know, they were wrong. They made the wrong choice, but I read that and I think they did a better job than some people do today. They did a better job of reacting to those claims than a lot of people do in this world today because they took him seriously. You know, today a lot of people, they will hear what Jesus has to say and they'll say, well, I think Jesus was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He had a lot of good ideas and he was one of many good teachers. And I incorporate some of the things that he does in my life, and then it helps me, and it makes me generally a good person. But Jesus doesn't leave us room for that. The claim that I am (laughs) leaves no room for that choice. He is either the Lord, or he is an evil man. He's a liar. He is either completely sovereign over all of creation, Or you need to reject him entirely. You either give him the throne or you pick up a stone. But here's something. The I am, he cannot be an accessory in your life. You either reject him or you serve him. And here's the good news. If you serve him, what you'll find is he is a Lord who comes not to crush you, but to redeem you. He comes not in wrath, but in patience. 
He comes not with burdens, but with promises. And he, say, and he stays with you. The I am, he was, and he is, and, and he is to come. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's going to be there with you in your trials. He's going to be there with you at your death. He'll be with you after your death. And he's with you today. Do you see him working today? Do you recognize him for who he is in your life today? He's come because he loves you. He came before the foundation of the world. He, he chose you before the foundation of the world. Scripture says before Abraham was, the great I am chose you. And he's going to stop at nothing to see you redeemed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news. It's, it's almost too good to believe. How is it possible that you would choose someone like us? But we thank you that you invite us into relationship. You invite us into a promise. We thank you that you're with us here today. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who may not know you, who may be seeking you. God, I pray that today they would know that you're seeking them. That you would find them that they would know you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.